0: It's 2024, and that means not just a new year, but that a new trimester of Space Club and the Wolfpack CubeSat development team are ready to start. Your student can begin their pathway to real-world space opportunities by joining us. We work with students from all over the country, middle, high school, and even college level. From designing, building, and launching satellites to presenting at international conferences, your student can start to build a resume where he or she is specializing in engineering, policy, and even entrepreneurship. Check out our website at aerospacehigh.org. That's A-E-R-O-S-P-A-C-E-H-I-G-H dot O-R-G for more information. And let's go to space together. Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, episode 138, Bringing Heat to the Physics Classroom. Today, Kevin and I meet with Rebecca Vieira. She's a physics educator who coordinates the American Association of Physics Teachers, NASA HEAT Team, which is a group of educators and researchers committed to advancing heliophysics education in formal classrooms. Rebecca's originally from Illinois, where she taught high school physics for seven years. She's also the 2013 recipient of the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching and is an alumna of the Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship, where she was placed at NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate for one year. Since then, she served as the first K-12 program manager of the American Association of Physics Teachers. Program Manager for the Inter-American Teacher Education Network and is now Director of Global Initiatives at FET Interactive Simulations for the University of Colorado Boulder. We are so excited to meet with her today and we know that you'll be as inspired as we are. Don't miss our takeaways. Welcome, Rebecca Vera. We are grateful that you're spending your Sunday with us as we're recording this. Remind our listeners a little
1: bit about who you are and how you came to be involved in space. Great. Yeah. Um, Let me see. There's a bit of a backstory here. Um, I grew up with a father who was a director of a planetarium at Illinois State University. He directed it for 25 years. So some of my earliest memories are being in the planetarium, listening to that planetarium music, you know, that kind of (laughs) very, uh, you know, ethereal um, ethereal music. Yeah, that makes you feel like you're floating. And, um, you know, the the darkness of the planetarium, and then you see the beautiful stars and you feel so small, but in a wonderful way, right? So um, those are some of my earliest memories. We also did a lot of um, observation. So my dad has still to this day quite a few telescopes and an active astronomy club um, back in Illinois where I'm originally from. So again, a lot of late evenings, observing, um, cold nights, eating Snickers to stay warm, and then going to pizza pizza place at midnight with a whole bunch of, you know, other other people who are excited about space.
2: That's fantastic. Did you ever discover anything yourself or were you there where things when things were discovered, maybe? For the first time?
1: No, not for me. There's plenty of alien stories, though. <laughs> but I was going to say, there was. How old, old was the Not that I've seen. <laughs> How old was the group for the astronomy club? Was it adults? Was it kids? Mixtures? Um. So I'm trying to think. The astronomy club probably started in the 70s. I was born in the 80s, so it was fairly well established at that time. Um, mostly adults, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the Sputnik era and, you know, my dad was probably partly a product of that. And so it was a lot of people around his age who had, you know, either gotten degrees in physics or astronomy and, um, and, and people who are just passionate about, you know, about the cosmos. I got, you know, I,
0: I I was born in the seventies and in the eighties, I got a telescope, right? And I just thought for sure, this was going to be it. I was going to see everything, but it was. I couldn't see anything. Like I just be, never figured
1: out either how to use this cardboard tube or whatever it was, but I was like, well, there's the moon. Yeah. The moon, so. and, and, and and you could do the and do the moon, and there's certainly different levels of quality of telescopes, right? Yeah, of the- course there's the kiddie telescopes which you know are probably good enough for seeing the moon and for seeing a few planets and things but if you really want to get into stuff like nebula globular clusters um yeah. you know faint you know really faint kind of stuff you you got to have something that's you know a decent size doesn't have to be terribly expensive but it needs to be big enough to pick up all that light and you gotta have you gotta be in a good place too so right I, right where well, there's not a lot of other light right I'm from Illinois originally, and you could go out to just like a cornfield, you know, (laughs) outside of the city. But now I'm on the East Coast. It's it's yeah, almost impossible.
2: Well, let's let's jump right into something that's like an issue for astronomers, which is light pollution. Right. Where on the Earth have you been that you thought this is the best light? You know, this is the best view of the Milky Way that I'll ever see. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, um, so I would have to go back to 2002. I went on a trip to Bolivia. Um, it was like a, it was a youth group kind of a trip, service trip, um, and I remember. So we were in Sucre, which first of all, we're talking Southern Hemisphere, so the sky looks different, right? Um, and we were in a bus it's a very mountainous area and it was like pitch black and because the city itself just didn't have a lot of lights at the time you could see like the lights inside of people's houses and they looked like little candles and then you couldn't what was most beautiful is you couldn't see the horizon it just turned into stars and so wow. you had candle like you know what looked like little candles and then it just had stars and um th- that would be the best conditions you know the altitude is great um you know you've got dry cold air um and that'll you know and then it wasn't as developed you know i'm sure things have changed
2: right so am i right with my geography bolivia is that still the high andes mountains like chile which
1: um yeah yeah basically i mean there are there's there's valley areas in bolivia too but bolivia's got some of the highest cities in the world for sure well i want to pop back a little bit so you were young you're inspired
0: by you know your dad and then you go off to school, you end up teaching physics. So let's kind of jump to the career in physics. And I know that I really want to get to understanding a little bit about what heliophysics is eventually as well. But so how do you make the leap to go into physics?
1: Um, Gee, so, you know, for a long time, there's lots of different things I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to save people's lives in an ER. And then I shadowed an ER doctor and he did paperwork a lot of the time, which (laughs) we know it's all good and important stuff, but it shifted my mind about what I would be spending most of my time doing. And um, then I wanted to go into international relations and um, it just didn't jive with me. And um, I just thought about what do I really love? And a lot of the experiences that I had had in high school and even younger, show and tell kinds of stuff, right? A lot of it was related to education and a lot of it was related to science. So I ended up um, switching my major from international relations in my first year of college into physics, and specifically physics teaching. Um, and at that time, my dad had transitioned from being, you know, not not only the planetarium director but also the teacher educator. So he was preparing future physics teachers, and. It was a natural transition for me except i didn't know whether to call him dad or okay. or you know because everybody but you know it was uh it was a good uh, it was it was a very good fit for me
0: that's fantastic so heliophysics then i mean i'm you know remember i'm the english teacher side of this uh this cohort here that we have so helio meaning sun so how do you transition eventually into uh the focus on the why why the focus on the sun like what is the relevance that that brought you to that that portion of your career.
1: Yeah, so it, it was. It ended up being kind of a side opportunity because at the time, um, I was the K through twelve program manager at the American Association of Physics Teachers, um, which is just, it's a professional society for physics educators at all levels. And um, NASA had actually approached the AAPT. I'm pretty sure. Um, and you know, long story short, there's money for education activities. Um, to help people in the United States understand the value of the work that NASA does. And um, one of those divisions that had, you know, a decent chunk of money was um, the Science Mission Directorate, so based at Goddard, um, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., one of the NASA space sites there. And um, they approached AAPT and said, you know, we're looking to build a coalition, I think it was 26 different organizations, to help people understand the research that NASA is doing on the sun. And um, so we said, yeah, would we do it. And um, I ended up getting involved, you know, because I happened to be there. But we also reached out to a variety of different folks across the United States who are mostly at universities and community colleges who teach physics and astronomy. And we wanted to make sure that the heliophysics, the solar physics that NASA was doing you know was doing that people understood it and they understood it in the context of classes that were actually happening so there's a branch of you know there's outreach right which is like working with the the public but aapt's role and my role was to support how do we get this into classrooms
2: right so that was
1: the team that you were on right the
0: idea of how do we bring this concept to so was it only in at the time was this still Illinois or
1: had you Oh no! Um. So yeah, at this time I was in Washington D.C. So this is a nationwide right, a
0: right, right.
1: Um. Yeah, and yeah, I'm. I think we have a team of around six or seven folks right now, and um, and also some really, really fabulous folks we call ambassadors. <laughs> Kevin is one, right. um, uh, who helps support that work too.
2: Right, and and I'll back up just. Uh minute in your story, let's back up a little bit to, well, first of all, physics, you know, physics is the queen of all sciences, right? Mm-hmm. So every every time you look up at the sky or anything you see, I, you know, that's such a wonderful broad subject, right? Plus, uh, I, I think you've got a love of physics because it deals with both the very, very small and the very, very large, right? Physics is that one place. Um, when you started out teaching, uh, you, you were in the classroom for a few years before you probably went to Washington D.C. D. Yeah. Were you teaching in Illinois? Was your undergrad education in Illinois? Uh, Illinois.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Illinois. A lot of people don't know, but it has some of the strongest physics and physics history um, in the of United course. States. Um, yeah, we got, we had a lot of great things going there. Um, so yeah, I, um, I'm from what we call normal Illinois. Um, I, I attended Illinois State University. It used to be called Illinois State Normal University, not because of the city's name, but because a normal university prepares teachers. And so the city took the name of the university. Um, so I went to Illinois State and then I taught for seven years. Um, and at my first school, I actually had my own observatory. which was pretty awesome, but I was only there for a year, and then I moved up to the uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago, um, and then I I got a fellowship um, at NASA. Um, there's something called the Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship, um, and I got a placement at NASA, but um, in the aeronautics division, not in space.
2: Right? Did that, um,
1: here to DC?
2: So you know, we've interviewed. Um quite a few folks that, you know, we spent time, I spent time with in DC. Did the Einstein Fellowship change your life for good? Uh, Was it for the, you know, some people would say it goes either way. What are your, um, what is your estimation of the, that program and how it maybe changed the trajectory of where you are today?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it absolutely changed my trajectory. I mean, had I not done it, you know, I mean there's good and bad right had i not done it i would still be in the classroom and i think i'd still be having a fabulous time in the classroom um you know the school that i left i did not want to leave but you know the opportunity came calling um so i think the thing that was most critical for me is i had a supervisor a couple supervisors who put me in charge of things i didn't expect to be in charge of and helped me to recognize skills i didn't know i had mm-hmm. and um The Einstein fellowship helps you to see kind of the role and the importance of the classroom teacher within this bigger scope right gives you that cosmological view right of 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 education and so for some people. It disillusions them, because especially if an opportunity doesn't show up for, you know, engaging at a national level in in initiatives. I think people can become very disappointed um, in themselves or in the system um it spoils it spoils us a little bit to be honest it makes us want more and some people you know are in a circumstance where they can where they can get more maybe they're able to pick up their lives and move across the country or you know not everybody you know is is you know wants to do that and that's fully understandable so um, for me it was a phenomenal change but i do miss the classroom and i'm i'm very jealous of of you know the opportunity to see children and young adults really change over the long right. term. I so, totally well,
2: that. Right, it sounds like you maybe need your own summer camp again. But uh, I, mm-hmm. I definitely want to agree with you about the you know you go from being a sort of grinding it out in the trenches to seeing the whole ecosystem. You know, with education, and you're right. A lot of people get I, I've seen those fellows that get really inspired to do national things. We had one young lady when I was there. She was appointed by President Obama to work in the White House, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much higher you can go as a teacher than that, you know, to liaise with the Department of Ed. So
1: that's
2: mm-hmm. wonderful. Goddard, let's just talk a minute about Wait, Goddard, Before
0: you go on, I'm still right? having a vision of your classroom with the astronomy, you know, like you had your own almost like a planetarium. Is that right?
1: Uh, well, I had an actual observatory. Yeah, an um,
0: observatory. So cool. all I can imagine is like your dad, right? Who brought you into this is now seeing you there did he get to come to your classroom and like sharing that
1: experience i just had this idea of this father-daughter connection now in the classroom he he was there so the the observatory it was if you could imagine it kind of being like out on a you know near a football field it's kind of well for that we actually had to drive to it because it was in a kind of a, a dark area so i couldn't take my kids there every day we couldn't like do you know solar observations during class um in an easy way but um uh we did have was one or two at least one big open house event at night, and yes, my dad came. And oh, I'm so I can so <laughs> happy, right, he was flashing back to the 70s, and now
0: there you are. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I was getting no, 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 and, so, right.
2: and and um, you know, I've been to Goddard, Goddard's a wonderful place that has such a good history, you know, with and and you mentioned Illinois. When I think about atomic energy and how we understood the atom and the particle accelerator, I mean, so much, there's a lot of smart physicists in and around Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. So much history, but Goddard is sort of a, I don't want to say it's a bureaucratic place, but since they, you know, they, they stopped training the astronauts there. Did you find you were in more of a, an administrative or programmatic uh, job at Goddard before you transitioned to AAPT?
1: Um, so actually I was at NASA headquarters. So oh, I, I can't okay. I can't answer your 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 question um on that. I was in a truly a bureaucratic building. Um, and most people don't know that NASA headquarters is like in a federal area in the middle of Washington DC. Um, so it was it was a building filled with cubicles, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, it it's not like yeah,
2: yeah. yeah we yeah. we've been many times we take kids and it and you're right, it's so close to the mall that we walk. Yeah from right. NASA Headquarters to Congress. It's yeah, a yeah. ten-minute walk.
1: Yeah, and so most people have no clue it's there. Um, but I, um, you know, and so there were a lot of you know there was a, there were a lot of administrators and things like that. But the people in the building, they've all been on the ground. You know what I mean? And some of them have been in space. <laughs> so, right. so there's there's people of all types and. Um, you know, they they say NASA, of all the surveys that they do, NASA has um, some of the highest, if if not the highest, like levels of personal satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a great place to be. So I don't think about it as a political entity. I mean, generally, NASA is just trying to get the job done, no matter who the administration is, no matter what new regulations there are, you shift the messaging, you still get the job done. You know?
2: Right, I agree. Uh, it is pretty popular bipartisan. Mm -hmm. And um, you're right. The administrators may be appointed, but a lot of those. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. I I think in all of my time, I think they always score in the top two or three for um, satisfaction, particularly with federal jobs. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to pivot a little to AAPT. And for our listeners, um, we we do a lot with AIAA. So AAPT is basically the physics educator version of an organization like AIWA, you're made up of professionals in this field. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're now at AAPT and you also, I should,
1: I should quickly just, just, I'll just quickly share my trajectory. So I was oh. after, after the fellowship for one year, I was at AAPT for three years. Mm-hmm. And then this project started there. I still consult for them because this project has gone on now for seven or eight years. But in the the interim, I was at the Organization of American States for three years, running a STEM teacher network. Um, Think of like the UN, but only for the Americas, primarily Latin America and the Caribbean. And then um, now I'm at the University of Colorado Boulder and I manage FETS Global Initiatives. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, my background's
0: extremely... No,
2: no,
1: no a... I mean, I pre-recorded the bio, but <laughs> like a... I knew and
0: that's where I was like, I'm not sure that well, he's aware. As a,
2: uh, as a science teacher, uh, particularly in middle school, I, I don't know anyone that doesn't really lean into the FET lab.
0: Well, I want to talk yeah. about that a little bit. So mm-hmm. are, we do have listeners who might not be familiar and I know that you sure. both are. I know what it is just because of talking with you. But maybe we could take a moment to really kind of talk about what FET does, um, because I know you're the director now. I'm the director of global
1: initiatives. So there's the actual director is is above me, and I, I work right, closely. right.
0: But even still, that sounds to me like the idea is to bring that into the use in the classroom. Yes, you know, the world. it's
1: important. So, it. yeah. yeah, teachers so have been doing for a long, long time. But but helping teachers make most effective use and then spreading that that's that's um, that's our focus. It's the, the community element. So remind our listeners what
0: that does. Like, what does FET do for the teacher folks who might be listening? Yeah,
1: sure. So FET Interactive Simulations is a project at the Physics Department at the University of Colorado Boulder. So I'm still in D.C., but I work remotely. And... um, for over 20 years, we have created um, online simulations. So if you think about like a virtual laboratory space, and if I speak in terms of space, right, we've got now a couple simulations dealing with, we've got one called My Solar System and another called Kepler's Laws. Um, we've got a few others that are also very space relevant, but the if you imagine creating your own solar system, if you added different planets at different distances, different masses, if you wanted to give them different initial starting speeds, you can um, you know start to understand these relationships between gravity orbital motion momentum things like that so. um, it's visually visual interactive kind of a thing, and it was started by a Nobel Prize winning physicist who ended up using the funds he got from his Nobel Prize to launch this effort, because at the peak of his research career in physics. He, he actually took a major shift and decided to focus on physics education research. And now we've expanded to math and right.
2: science. Carl, Carl, uh, Carl Wyman, Is that yes. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: I will tell you this. Um, I take a FET lab with mechanical energy. the yeah. one, And I put it on the same screen as a Khan Academy video that shows uh, an elliptical yeah. orbit. Mm-hmm. And then I sync them up so that uh, perigee on the orbit is the same time the Pendulum is at the bottom. It's, oh, wow. yeah, think about that's,
1: that. That's, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. And then I made a little recording, but the the bar graph, right? So I show the kids, I, I do a summer camp on orbital mechanics, and the tagline for the camp is we always trade height for speed, right? Ah. So your FET lab is the ideal place because every child, if you start with roller coasters and a 10 year old, every right. child gets it. So I, I, I'm a big fan of the FET labs. Actually, Sometimes I'll have time where I'll just let the kids choose the FET lab they want to explore. So I give yeah. them some free time to play mm-hmm. in the FET labs because they're such good quality. So
1: That's, yeah. I, I'm so glad to hear that because in general, you know, uh, that open play is so much more productive and fruitful and pedagogically beneficial than anything we could ever. Give instructions to kids to do. It's
2: way yeah. better than a one page handout, right? right? Right, yeah.
0: Well, and I'm thinking about like kids now in other countries as you're talking about bringing this as a tool. So, where are some of the areas that you're focusing on that maybe haven't had this kind of support in the past?
1: Um, so, my work specifically focuses on Africa, um, specifically Sub Saharan Africa. Um, and Latin America and we do have users all around but it's not so much how do I want to say it? it's not so much that teachers so teachers in some places are truly not aware but that's often a result of the fact mm-hmm. that they have less connectivity they have fewer resources it's still totally possible to use these things even in a low resource source context but you might have to download it to use it offline you might have right. to get creative in how you have students share devices or learn how to effectively manage a classroom of, you know, 70 kids with nothing more than a projector screen, right? So um, that's that's what my job really focuses on with a, a team of people I work with.
2: So we really need to get the folks like Musk that are doing these global, const, you know, constellations, we really need to increase low latency access to the internet, right, We're just worldwide. That-
1: that, that's a huge part of, of what's going on for sure is, you know, FET ourselves, we don't provide technology or infrastructure, but um, we would love to collaborate because I think these things have to come together. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes and some of the most expensive mix mistakes that I think we've seen in these developing contexts is where people go in, they put in the infrastructure or hand over the technology and it's not used effectively and it literally sits on a desk and you know gets you know gets covered in dust right or sometimes the technology's there and then the electricity system goes out or it's inconsistent and so you've got to work with your electricity providers in addition to your internet providers and your tech support folks so it's it is not an easy problem to solve um but you know with a great teacher sometimes you can overcome those obstacles at least in the short term
2: yeah, nice. fantastic. So fantastic. important.
1: Such important work.
2: I know that um I I don't know if you're aware but I I know I've mentioned I have a we have a conference at KSC it's focused on the CubeSats in October and I know we we sent 15 emulators to Peru. You know, there're teams uh young people across the world especially in countries that maybe don't have really advanced space programs. They're hungry for aerospace right they're just hungry for it. The question is how do you equip them with the resources that they have to do some good. Um, I just had an idea that I'll talk to you about offline about a way to collaborate in a way that might be a win win for uh, fet and another organization that I work with so
0: well if teachers were interested who are listening who who might have heard of it but never have experienced it um you know would you like to share the website like where can people go do they just search up you know
1: phet yeah um, honestly that's the easiest thing to do is just to 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 search up phet or um Fet interactive simulations, but yeah. And for those who are curious, the PH comes from physics. It used to be physics education technology, and we don't say it out loud anymore like that because we also do mathematics and we do you know a, chem- a lot of chemistry, physical science more than just physics. So right? from a from
0: a grade age kind of background, is there something that would go as even early
1: as say like? Primary, or does it focus primarily? Yeah, on so it's um, a lot of our work has been like the priorities are based a little bit on grant funding. Um, uh, so we started out with actually a lot of quantum physics, you know, higher level kind of stuff that was more related to um, the 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 original, you know, the the founders' original work, right? Um, Now we have math that goes all the way down to early math. So we're talking kindergarten, you know, number sense, things like that. So a lot of our math is actually most appropriate for primary level and into middle school. Um, And then uh, for our science, physical science, I would say most of it is squarely centered at secondary level, but could be used in intro college and certainly could be used in like um, across primary with, you know, appropriate scaffolding.
2: Right, I, I think between friction and forces and motion.
1: Yeah, it's excellent. all excellent. It.
2: And and the chemistry for classrooms that may not have resources for a lot of uh, wet chemistry labs. I thought some of the solubility stuff excellent mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. I'm yeah big fan on that. Yeah. I'm um, glad
1: to hear it.
2: Yeah, let's talk just for a moment about the NASA heliophysics is. And yeah, sure. Get, uh, I, let's talk about the the heat. The ambassadors and the program that you lead there are you still the um, sort of the driving force of that or is that just one of your additional duties that you perform
1: um so I, I mean i like to think of everything as a team effort but i do tend to do most of the coordination so our our official lead you know of the project is ramon lopez um out at university of texas arlington who's been you know a huge ally and collaborator with aapt for a long long time so um from the get go, I, I did a lot of the just general management coordination. So that's why most people, I, I deal with all the communications basically.
2: Okay. Are you uh, anticipating, are you going to have a, a summer workshop for new class of ambassadors?
1: Yes, we, we will. Um, we'll be actually heading uh, to Chicago. Um, I think uh, I don't. Um, I don't remember the dates off the top of my head. Um, I will, would like to share that we haven't released it public, publicly yet because we're just wanting to make sure we can get the meeting space and all that. But it will be in Chicago. I believe it'll be in June and i can actually pull up the dates but i don't know if you have a way to share this information out once i have it yeah if you um if you just send it to kevin
0: um, i'm hoping if all goes well we'll be able to drop this tomorrow in which oh, case great. if you send it as soon as we're done i can put it in the bio okay. so that you know in the in the show notes awesome
1: thank you and i should also mention so aapt has a nasa heat page where we will be posting all of this stuff if people just google it's a lot of letters but aapt and then nasa and then heat h e a t and maybe i should mention why we call it heat by the way it's heliophysics education activation team
2: very so, good i'm yeah. thinking
1: too when you um if you want
0: to when you share the website or, or whenever you have your you know the mm-hmm. locations procured we can certainly share it on our websites um so yeah we you know, right. we're happy to do that
2: yes and uh, in fact i taught a nasa heat lesson uh last year at the state science fair yes. uh, conference for educators mm-hmm. and uh, i also took a lot of the resources that you gave us when i was at your workshop i put it in a google folder and shared it with the cl- everybody that attended so they, they can go. quickly you know download these tremendous resources I, I really enjoyed that. The the kids enjoy uh the beads, the colored beads I, oh, yeah. That's what I was uh,
0: thinking. different
2: wavelengths. That that was a really good lesson. So I'm 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 really glad that you, you know, uh to, to have met you, Rebecca. And then again, I really appreciate the solid work that you're doing in, in so many different ways to help elevate, you know, Americans, especially how we but understand everyone, the world yeah, around yeah. us. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm I really am super grateful that you're sharing all these resources too, because I mean, um You know, we have to find networks of networks and (laughs) and that's that's clearly what you've done. So yeah, thanks for thanks for doing that. And I think more importantly, just, you know, like also, you know, even beyond NASA, right? Like having an appreciation and understanding of the world around us is really critical, right? Understanding how the sun affects us, you know, the risks also the benefits of living next to an active star. You know, that helps us appreciate life a little bit more. And that's really what it's all about.
2: It's the only thing in the universe that gives us without taking anything from us. You know, that's a great way to put
0: it. Uh I normally end with like, you know, so what advice do you do you have for anyone? It sounds like that was like a really great piece there to, to recognize. However, I will leave the last um, words to you there. For anyone who might be listening, I'm thinking particularly maybe even teachers who are kind of on that cusp of taking something that they're interested in and, and really kind of going full gear, or even students who might be thinking about physics, like, I sit
1: through this class, what does it have to do?
0: Parting <laughs> words. All yours.
1: I guess I would say in everything that I've done and even in my own teaching, right? When I do get interested in something, like don't just rely on yourself, find people who have that like, Uh, What we call privileged knowledge, which shouldn't be a privilege right, but there are people out there right who specialize in these things they've gone before us, they have gotten that specific track in education that they needed to get where they are finding mentors just in general in life is probably the best piece of advice that I would give so again, be it. You know, wanting to bring research or a particular topic into the classroom that maybe you as a teacher don't know all that much about that should not be a limiter right um you know find people who are willing to give a little bit and um and just don't take on the whole burden yourself because we no nobody gets ahead in life on their own I, I really don't don't believe so really good advice well we really
0: appreciate you spending this time with us today and i know kevin's going to want to talk to you offline about this so thank you again for your time thank you
2: thank you So I really enjoyed our conversation with uh, Rebecca Vieira this morning. Um, I met Rebecca last summer, uh, having been selected as a NASA heat ambassador, and uh, just a tremendous workshop and really great people that uh, she works with and leads.
0: Yeah, and how exciting, right? Like, I really liked her story. I love the connection with her dad, how she ends up there, but also how there's the connection of, I love physics. I'm now a teacher. I'm still a teacher, but now I'm influencing students around the world. I mean, it's like a really great story of, of finding what it is that you like and then figuring out how you can bring that to other people.
2: Yes, and, and Rebecca is active on a number of fronts, or as you said, both uh, in the U.S. with educators at different levels. Uh, the workshop I was at, uh, there were folks from the university. Uh, high school and middle school and but all with a similar theme of how do we get this great content mm-hmm. uh, that's being uh, created by uh, our research the nasa researchers out to the youngest possible students
0: yeah i think it sounds like though like from listening to you do these workshops before and even um talking with rebecca today it really comes down to funding right and like it's it is unfortunate when she talks about like the idea of the privilege or whatever but it's like those who have the resources have access and it seems like even in some of these workshops that you've been to everybody's developing and generating these fantastic ideas but then it stops short of actually getting to where it needs to go beyond like just that area so I don't know what the answer to that is but um, I feel like I I just feel like there's a, a wealth of information that somehow is not getting to to the kids in the classroom to the teachers who ultimately give those lessons how do we fix that
2: um that's a definitely a programmatic you know a policy issue the for department the government of, it, right? about, department of well no, not not necessarily department of ed but the the if the goal is to create some deep domain experts with te- classroom teachers, they just need uh access and there's no way to do that short of spending some money
0: and it's still so, that paradigm shift we talk about the, how we approach education in general is still antiquated there's not enough connection to industry and i really envision an idea where you have if it was like the bureaucratic department of ed you're right there by nasa anyway why aren't some of those not just funding or creating things for teachers but actually working together to to take them further know. Yeah. Oh, that's a topic for another day high level All right. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this week's episode, of course, and that you'll join us again. As we say, let's Let's go go to to space.
2: space.